Thank you, Noel. Well, good evening. We are in Ephesians 5, and we're covering not an easy one tonight. So, if you would stand, this will be Ephesians 5, verse 22. We'll begin 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So all husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Heavenly Father, we pray that you are blessed by the reading of your word. You may be seated. So the previous verses, 18 to 21, was directed to all believers. Tonight we look at 22 to 33, which refers to those in natural earthly relationships in the Christian household. Now, although God established these relationships long before Christianity came into this world, Paul gives them their biblical significance and meaning here. Renewing our minds to the truth of these relationships couldn't be more important or timely as we survey the wasteland of broken marriages and families, not just in the United States, but all over the world. No other time in history has the family and marriage been under greater assault. The core unit of society that civilizes men and protects women and children is marriage and family. This is the essential building block for building communities and building nations And also the core of the church. The core of the church is healthy families anchored by healthy marriages. The enemy knows this. So everything satanic is being thrown at marriages today to diminish what was set forth by God in Genesis. One man and one woman who are one flesh. The world pushes gay so-called marriage, polyamorous so-called marriage, open so-called marriage. Really, anything goes today. Because once Pandora's box was opened with gay marriage, going beyond one man and one woman, on the basis of as long as they love one another, there are no limits to what deviancy this will lead to next. There are no guardrails. There are no standards. It seems there's a movement not only to destroy marriage today, 
But there's a movement to destroy women and a movement to destroy children. But it all started with an all-out assault on marriage. Even those that follow traditional marriage of one man and one woman are faced with a minefield of challenges, such as egalitarianism, the ease of no-fault divorce laws, economic, political, and social engineering challenges. Yet the one thing all these challenges to the God-ordained institution of marriage have in common is selfishness, extreme self-centeredness, really narcissism. This is emblematic by the fact that one of the most popular songs at weddings today is by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. So before the marriage even starts, there's a declaration of independence and of self-centeredness. But what a sad but fitting anthem to the world's approach to marriage. This is the message of anti-submission. Not dying to self, but promoting self. But that's not surprising, given our Facebook and Instagram world that we live in now, where we have this nauseating promotion of self. That's the name of the game today. And all this self-worship is so diametrically opposed to what biblical marriage is based on, which is dying to self and submitting to one another. For submission is the theme of this section And it carries over into chapter 6, which we'll hit in a couple weeks. But that is why we see Paul here, before he speaks to wives submitting to their husbands, that he's careful to point out the mutual submission, the mutual submission that all believers are to have with one another. We see this in the preceding verses in our section, and they so critically and preemptively frame what some consider to be some of the most volatile scriptures verses in scripture. Looking back at verse 18b, we'll start there. It says, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Here is the universal application among believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We see a heart of joy, exultation, gratitude in always giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's the vertical. That's the vertical worship. And the result of that vertical worship is a joyful, grateful heart, which is then turned horizontal, being subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. First, the submission is vertical to give thank, all thanks for all things to God. Then we turn to the horizontal. We submit to one another in love. So we have to see first the universal application of submission to one another coming from the heart of the believer before we can understand the verses that follow. Because as we shall see, it's not just the focus of wives being subject to their husbands, but also husbands being subject to their wives. How? By loving their wives as their own bodies, recognizing her needs and self-sacrificing to make sure they are met. It's children obeying parents, but also parents in submission, not provoking their children to anger. The slave submits to the master, but the master submits by treating his slave fairly. That is how this whole section taken together, how it's all framed 
And notice that the command goes to those who are actually expected to fail. The wives failing in submitting to their husbands. The, The husbands failing to love their wives. The children failing to obey their parents. And the parents failing by provoking their children. The slaves failing by disobeying their master. And the master failing by abusing their slave. As we'll be studying soon in Genesis, coming to a Sunday near you, I think in two weeks, the fall of man, it's infected all the relationships, including those in the most intimate relationships in the Christian household. So our section tonight breaks down into three parts. Wives are, wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Number two, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And number three, husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. In today's society, the first point, wives are to submit to their own husbands as Christ submits to the church, is probably the most controversial. It's verses 22 to 24. We'll read it again. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, the LSB translates it here, be subject. The King James and the ESV translates it, submit to. The terms submit, be subject, or submission can carry so much baggage if not understood biblically. We see that Paul here uses a softer term for wives than he does for children who are to obey. He tells them to be subject to. But regardless of these distinctions, the unbelieving world, they'll never understand this order in the Christian household because they have rebellious hearts, because they have proud hearts, because they have unconverted hearts. Some men have misunderstood this verse to mean that they can treat their wives in an ungodly way. And some women have misunderstood this verse to mean that they are second-class citizens treated even as property. Both are egregious. Both are unbiblical. So first, we have to understand the meaning to be subject to or to be in submission to another. And Philippians 2 gives us a ready definition. Philippians 2 reads, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. That is a great definition of submission. The negative denial, do nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory. Ambition can be good. Glory can be great when directed to God. But Paul is saying that these good things should never be for our self-promotion, never out of greed, never for our own glory, but rather rather with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than ourselves. This means being other-focused. The believer is to put others' interests above their own. This is self-sacrifice. This is dying to self that lowers ourselves while raising others up in our own estimation. This is one of those amazing truths of regeneration that we submit to one another as believers. And it's the core of every member ministry that we serve others. And that's why here at Lakewood, we don't have to harangue people to serve. They want to serve. The servant's mindless desire is coming from a new heart, a regenerated heart with new desires. 
This can't be manufactured. But it is the miraculous fruit of the Spirit in a man or woman who loves others as they love themselves, putting their needs first. Likewise, in our marriage, by putting our spouse's needs before our own. And understanding this helps us understand verse 22, the tough one. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Secondly, we have to understand we are all subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Verse 22, wives are subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. The moment we are regenerated, we start a lifelong journey of realizing just how small and insignificant we are and just how great and awesome our God is. And as we grow in wisdom, we grow in humility and gratitude and the fear of the Lord. We gain understanding that he is the final judge we're going to have to answer to. And that truth dominates our decisions. That truth dominates our lives. Proverbs 9 records, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. One of the saddest verses on the fear of the Lord is in Romans 3, where the unbeliever is described as having no fear of God before their eyes. This even describes those who are loosely attached to Christianity, who profess Christ but but deny him in their works. They abuse this verse by running roughshod over their wives, dominating them. These are weak, unbiblical men who take advantage of their spouses to rule over them, to bully them so they can get their own way because they have no fear of God before their eyes. The cult, Christ Covenant Church here in Lakewood, had this on their website. Compliments of Noel, who sent this to me, to us. It read, a husband has the right and responsibility to discipline his wife. Of course, that is quite opposite of true biblical submission. Making a mockery of what being subject to one another in the fear of Christ means. Third, we have to understand God's divine order. We've touched on the submissiveness being the essence of all our relationships with one another. But that does not trump the divine order God has given for these relationships. There is an order to the authority and submission we see in the New Testament. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And even congregations to your elders. There is a divine authority that shepherds, shepherds and pastors have over those in their care. First Peter 5 records, Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those, who, those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. Husbands don't dominate. Parents don't dominate. Shepherds don't dominate but rather are examples. Husbands, examples to their wives. Parents, examples to their children's children. And elders, examples to their flocks. How? By serving them in love, in the fear of the Lord. For those in authority will be held to account for the authority given to them. But let's talk about that order. We see it in verses 22 through 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's Christ also that is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be 
to their husbands in everything. So where did this order come from for wives being subject to their their husbands? Genesis 3, it reads, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain you will bear, bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The fall of man has so pervasively impacted every man, every woman, and every relationship throughout the history of mankind. Genesis is ground zero for establishing man's authority. All three of these pro- the prophecies from this verse are true. Women will have pain in childbirth. The woman's desire will be for her husband. And finally, the husband will rule over his wife. Pain in childbirth is a fact. We get that. But what about the woman's desire for her husband and that he will rule over his wife? It simply means that due to the fall, the woman will desire to dominate or to overpower the man. But part of the curse for the woman is that the husband will rule over her. Right there in the book of Genesis, we have the genesis, if you will, of marital strife, of the battle of the sexes. The battle over headship is a real battle. Women not wanting to submit, men wanting to dominate their wives. And that's why marriage is hard. Because our fallenness, there is a hostility, there's a rebellion from both parties. So what's the remedy? What is the answer to struggling marriages? What, how are marriages repaired so they can flourish? Regeneration. The Holy Spirit indwelling the husband and wife. Because the only way there can be true transformation in a marriage is by the transformation of sinners who instead of wanting to dominate each other are now dying to self, are now dying to self-domination, are now dying to having their own way, and are now dying to the desire to have only their needs met. Only then is there buy-in from both parties to the biblical command in verse 22. Husband, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Only then is the husband's headship not a stumbling block. Only then can God's design of men and women being different be embraced and that they have different strengths and roles in the Christian household. That's why we are complementarians here. Men and women's strengths complement each other. We are equal but different, as one wise former elder once wrote, right? The blending of the sexes today has reached absurd levels. The demonic desire to erase masculinity, to erase femininity that are God-given and God-designed is nothing more than rebellion to God that started at the fall and is now made manifest by people with truly depraved minds, including homosexuality, transgenderism, and the rest of the alphabet soup of depravity. On Friday, it was reported that a professor with a PhD at the University of Pittsburgh told his class that an archaeologist cannot discern whether a person was male or female by examining their bones. Think of the absurdity of that. The truth of the most obvious facts, they don't matter anymore to the depraved minds. We know men and women are different because their, role, their roles are different. Men are, as First Peter records, stronger physically. 
because we are designed to provide, to protect, to secure the wife, who Peter refers to in 1 Peter 3 as the weaker vessel. Not weaker intellectually, not weaker mentally, not weaker in wisdom, not weaker in virtue. They're just weaker physically. And that's why when we hear a professor say ridiculous, unprovable statements in his quest to defend, in this case, mentally unstable men participating in women's sports, we're aghast at the violation of God's natural order. This natural order should be honored and recognized not only in sports, but also in the church. 1 Timothy 2 records, a woman must learn in quietness, in all submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. You may ask, why is this? Well, 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he goes on in the next two verses, for it was Adam who was first formed, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. We see the divine order right here. As Paul refers to Genesis 3 at the fall, again, the order Adam, then Eve. And notice the man was not deceived, but the woman, it was the woman who was deceived. Adam does bear the responsibility of leading the entire human race into sin, but he was not the one who was deceived. And that's why Colossians 3 says the submission of the woman is fitting. Colossians 3 reads, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. So the whole divine created order gives man authority over his wife, and the wife is to be subject to her own husband. Now, if the, if the man commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then that's not part of this order. But understand that the only reason that this works, the only reason this works for the wife to be subject to their husband is because the husband is first subject to Christ. Verses 23 and 24, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Christ is our model. We all submit to him and we do so gratefully. Amen. The husband must die to self to be in submission to Christ. The wife must die to self and be in submission to the husband in everything. It was Christ that ransomed us off the slave block while we were yet sinners, purchasing us in full by his blood. The miracle of our regeneration when through the cross we became new creatures. He is why we die to self. He is why we pick up our cross and we follow him. That is why we must increase, he must increase, and we must decrease, as Cameron said today. And he is why this divine order of humanity works so harmoniously, so perfectly when the husband and wife are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The husband gladly being subject to Christ and the wife gladly being subject to her own husband who is subject to Christ. For Christ is the authority, and we will answer to him. For the church is his body. We are all under his headship, no longer under the headship of Adam. So point two, verses 25 to 27, husbands are to love their wives 
as Christ loves the church. It reads, husband loves your, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So we've looked at the woman's role in submitting to their own husbands. And now we move to the men's role. Again, like the women's role in submission to their husbands, there is a type of reciprocal submission in this command that men love their wives. Are not men more prone to fail in affection for their wives? Yes. And again, the residual of the fall has landed on men, making us weak in the area of affection, just as women are weak in the area of authority. Now, a marriage may be made in heaven, truly predestined before time, but the maintenance of it is to be done here on earth, and that includes husbands loving their wives. Now, it's important to understand the type of love in verse 25, so we don't misunderstand. This is not phileo love, but rather agape love. Phileo love is a love of affection and emotion. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. He uses the word agape, which is strikingly different and a whole lot less glamorous. Agape love comes from a settled disposition or a choice. You could say a settled decision, a decision to be intentional about loving your wife. This is not the stuff of romance novels or Disney trash. Surely a husband should love his wife with phileo love of affection and emotion as well. But the real engine that drives a marriage over a lifetime is agape love. The Puritan Ambrose, Isaac Ambrose, once wrote of husbands, he must love her at all times. He must love her in all things. The rise of which love must not be from her beauty or nobility but especially because she is a sister in the Christian religion and an inheritor with him in the kingdom of heaven. Agape love is the love that the Lord chose for us. He unconditionally chose to set his love on us when we were unlovable. It was his sovereign choice to set his love upon us, saving us from our sins. We added nothing to it, just as Jonathan Edwards says, Famous for saying, but the sin that made that salvation necessary. And notice in verse 25 that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Again, Christ is the model. How did Christ love the church? With agape love. Christ didn't first make the church worthy to be loved and then give, it, give himself for it. His loving and giving was before the church was formed, before we were even saved He loved us intentionally, sovereignly with agape love, and he gave his life for us. In his sacrificial death on the cross, there's no greater demonstration of love. This self-sacrificing love, as John 15 records, Jesus telling his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is the kind of love that is needed for a lasting marriage. And Christ has perfectly modeled it for us. Now, verse 26 and 27. So he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now the her here in verse 26 is speaking of the church, which is the model for the husband to love his wife. And this model for marriage through Christ loving the church is saying that Christ's love for the church is threefold. His past workings of love, his present workings of love, and his future workings of love. So his past workings of love, we know, are evident in the redemption. Redeeming a people out of this world by making atonement for their sins. Shedding his blood. This has cleansed us judicially in that we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ at conversion. Then verse 26 is speaking of the present workings of love. A re-sanctifying, cleansing, washing us with the water of the word. The word convicts us of our sins and leads us to the sin bearer who will lead us in our sanctification to glory. The necessary word and the necessary savior are the power of this ongoing cleansing. And lastly, in his future workings of love, the Lord will present the church to himself at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Before he presents the glorious church at his second coming. And why is the church so glorious? Because we will be without spot, meaning no trace of failure will be seen in the church. Because we will be without wrinkle, meaning no trace of aging will be evident in the church. Because we will be holy, no trace of sin forevermore will be evident in the church. And because we'll be blameless, no trace of guilt forevermore will be evident in the church. Christ's past, present, and future care for his church models for us the precious care a husband is to have for his wife. Our third point, husbands are to love their wives as they are to love their own bodies. Verses 29 through 33, it reads, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Again, precious care for the wife from the husband is in view here. Comparing the nourishing and cherishing of one's own body to the care Christ has for the church. Since we are members of his body, and that's such an amazing thought, isn't it? That we are members of his own body, of his body. The church is the very body of Christ, and Christ our federal head. Paul includes in verse 31 a quote from Genesis 2, reminding us just how foundational marriage is between one man and one woman. Think of it before man had any other calling. Before he had any other calling, he was called to be a husband. And the Puritan Thomas Adams wrote, as God created, as as God by creation made two of one, again by marriage, he made one of two. So Paul in verse 32 states, this mystery is great, 
but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. What was this mystery not revealed in the Old Testament? What was it? Please don't miss it. The intimacy of the new body called out to be the bride of Christ, the bridegroom, that Christ would be the head and we, the church, would be his body as one, as one, so intimate and so inseparable a union that Paul makes a shocking comparison. He has the audacity to equate Christ and the church to the union of a husband and a wife, the most intimate relationship in humanity. I mean, that truth is mind-blowing, that we are so blessed positionally. Are we not? Finally, verse 33, Paul brings it, brings it back to the great challenges of the fall that Christ overcame through his atonement, making it impossible for husbands to overcome the love of self so they can instead love their wives as Christ loves the church, and making it impossible for wives to overcome dominating their husbands so they can instead respect their husbands in love, thus reversing the curse. So the takeaway here is pretty obvious, isn't it? Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And love your wives as you love your own body. So let's pray as before Noel comes up and wraps us up with one more song. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for these truths of these relationships that we don't focus on enough and that you've given us so much instruction here, Lord. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for its clarity here in understanding your plan for us, Lord, plans for our marriages to submit to one another, to love one another as we submit to you in all things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.